Welcome to the Wealth Tech Winner Circle Podcast. In this podcast, we break down the technology challenges that are impacting today's financial professionals. Our goal is to identify these challenges and potentially uncover solutions across tech integrations, adoption, emerging technology, evaluating solutions, and more. Through this content, we hope to help professionals avoid common pitfalls and move their services towards an award-winning strategy for 2020 and beyond. Hosted by Tim Welsh, President Nexus Strategy and Consultant to the Wealthies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wealth Tech Winners Circle podcast. Joining me is Aaron Klein, CEO of Riskalyze. Aaron, welcome to the show. And uh, to get us started, maybe tell us a little about yourself, what Riskalyze does, how you guys help advisors. And maybe a fun fact or two about yourself that our listeners may not know about Aaron Klein. Awesome. Great to be with you, Tim. And thanks for having me. Um, you know, it, it's it's wild. We're about to cross uh, nine years that we have been uh, in existence as a company. And it's been a wild ride. Um, hard to believe that we're, that we're approaching uh, the end of the first decade. But uh, it has been a wild ride since we started Riskalyze back in 2011. Um, you know, I, I, the company really got, got started around the idea that risk and investing is something that just felt very impenetrable to the average person. Uh, it felt very broken to the average person. It's, it was hard for them to grasp and understand kind of how markets work. And, and it's very counterintuitive how markets work, right? Because I think Warren Buffett probably said it best, investments are literally the only thing that uh, the American consumer refuses to buy when they're at their cheapest and only wants to buy when they're at their most expensive, right? When markets are, are going up, we're feeling excited and optimistic and we want to put more risk on and, and put more money in our accounts. And when markets are going down, we start getting fearful and making bad, fear, fear-driven investing decisions that ultimately are, 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 are selling low. Uh, and then we just wait for the markets to feel safe again. And then we buy back in at the high. And, and it's it's just a, we have a remarkable capability as humans to sabotage our investing. And so Riskalyze was founded on a mission of empowering the world to invest fearlessly. And it was our belief that, hey, if we can, if we can use this Nobel Prize winning uh, economic framework to build some technology that allows an advisor to, to create a, a framework for their clients to really understand and react to risk appropriately, that can transform a fear-bound investor who makes bad short-term decisions into a fearless investor who makes really great short-term decisions. And you know, great short-term decisions are the foundation and the fuel that amazing financial advisors use to actually achieve those long-term financial goals. You know, I, I, I go and speak to, uh, you know, audiences of advisors and I will, I will kind of ask a trick question sometimes and say, how many of you help your clients make great long-term decisions? And a lot of the hands will go up and I'll say, so I, I hate to break this to you, like none of your clients make long-term decisions. You, you know, the long-term is your job, right? All of your clients make short-term decisions and, you know, it, it, we exist to really help financial advisors get their clients to make great short-term decisions because that ultimately is what amazing financial advisors use to achieve those great long-term financial outcomes. Um, you know, my um, in terms of a fun fact about me, uh, man, you're stumping me because my hobbies are like Riskalyze and then my my family. Uh, I do a little bit of nonprofit work, but you know, I will say this: my family looks a little different from most. We've adopted three times. My first son was born in South Korea. 
my daughter was born in Ethiopia, and then with some nonprofit work in Ethiopia, we met what turned out to be our, our oldest uh, who was born in Ethiopia. So we'd like to say we're just your typical average Korean Ethiopian American family. <laughs> That's fantastic, Aaron. Very inspirational, and I know you do great work there in spreading the good news about those options. So congrats on that. Um, so uh, 2019, big year for you all. You uh, took home the wealthies uh, again and again and again. I think you pretty much own the risk category. Uh, so what was the thinking behind last year's uh, nomination and um, the initiative that you won with? A couple things that I think we, we worked on and rolled out and, and talked about. I, I believe the wealthy in the risk category was focused on the the all-new Riskalyze experience, we rolled out a, a complete top-to-bottom user experience redesign uh, and, and really uh, kind of upgraded the experience for advisors. We also rolled out the next-gen risk assessment um, a little bit later in the year, and uh, that was just kind of, you know, in, internally the codename was RQ6. We've literally been through six different iterations of the risk assessment, but we just continue to take the um, the amazing data that we produce from all of that and the input from great advisors and try to refine and make it um, even simpler and even more powerful while still respecting the underlying math and methodology that has powered us uh, to, to the place that we're at today. Um, and another big initiative for, uh, for 2019 um, was our connected trading technology. We rolled that out in the fall of 2019. Uh, and connected trading uh, is is all about uh, you know we we built this trading automation platform that kind of reinvents how advisors trade and connected trading kind of built out the last mile of all those in integrations into backend custodians so the advisor can literally click a button it shoots all the trades out across the network fills those trades gets them gets them allocated out to client accounts in a compliant fair way. Uh, and all of that happens uh, under the hoods. So the advisor just gets to watch uh, the process happen in real time. That was a that was a lot of stuff that we rolled out in 2019. I'm sure there were a few more that I that I'm not thinking of uh, off the top of my head. But uh, it was a busy 2019, and we've got an even busier 2020 planned. Yeah, outstanding. Yeah, definitely a, a busy time for everyone. I think. Um, so let's talk bigger picture. Um, you know, we know advisors are always um, wrestling with technology. You know, I love people who call it the tech stack. I kind of think of most of them think they have a tech pile, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a, a phrase I heard from a good friend of mine, and I, I've been leveraging that because it really is a good descriptor. So, what what are the challenges for advisors when it comes to tech? And on the flip side, you know, what are the opportunities? Maybe what what are they missing? Because uh, I know you're knee deep with advisors on a daily basis. Sure, I you know there there's several things come to mind. One is that advisors are dealing with, you know, what I like to call liquid expectations, right? So Apple and Netflix and many of these different companies that really, you know, didn't exist 15 years ago, at least, at least, you know, the, the products that I'm talking about there, right? Like the iPhone arrived in 2007, you know, Netflix really began to uh, change everything from a streaming perspective, you know, kind of in the middle of that decade. Uh, and, and, and these kinds of products and experiences have absolutely changed how consumers think about and what they expect uh, from, from service providers. You know, um, I, it was just not that many years ago that if we wanted to watch a particular movie, like we really needed to plan ahead, right? And we really needed to make sure that we, that we had our DVD there or that we had time to go to the rental store or, or any of those kinds of things. You know, now we live in this on-demand world where we just go like, what do we want to watch? Like all of that is at our fingertips right there, you know, at the touch of a button. 
you know, the same thing is, has happened with mobile, right? Where I, 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 you know, it's, it's hard to believe that 15 years ago, we would say things like, well, when I get back to my computer, I will, I will figure that out and I will get back to you. Right. And, and today it's like all sitting in the palm of our hand as we walk around um, pretty much anywhere on earth. Uh, and so like those kinds of, of shifts in expectation, I think impact advisors in a big way as well, because their clients just have this fluid change in what they expect from them as advisors and what they expect from the technology experience. And so I think it's incumbent upon advisors as they're figuring out how, how they want to transform that tech pile into a true tech stack. I think it's incumbent upon advisors to really think about design as a core element and experience as a core element of what they are choosing. I think sometimes advisors, you know, I, I, I are, are very, very focused on kind of checking the feature boxes and, you know, checking the feature boxes. I, I guess I would say that a lot of the user experiences and successful companies uh, of today are in a less is more philosophy. And it's not necessarily about, do you have these 250 features? It's, can you deliver an experience that really makes a difference uh, for me and in the case of advisors for my clients. Um, I think that's one of the biggest technology uh, challenges that advisors have to have to deal with is to really change their lens of how to think about uh, what a successful technology implementation is going to look like for them. Uh, yep, totally agree. I think you're right on to that. And you actually covered some of the points in my next question around the, the client experience. And so along the similar veins, maybe a conversation about... Um, a topic that I've termed a uh, peak robo. Have we hit peak robo in that, uh, <laughs> you know, advisors are comfortable now that they're not going to be replaced by the robots. Um, can they exist together? You know, uh, what are your thoughts on that concept of peak robo? Yeah, I, I, I recall saying a year or two ago, I think that I believe robo has jumped the shark, um, you know, which of course is the, is the old term for uh, when, a, when a television show is no longer any good. And, and we're, we're all ready to move on. There definitely was this robo craze, right? And, and I, I would agree with you. We, we reached peak robo. We're past it. Um, and, and I think the industry has gotten over uh, that, or that initial angst of robo advisors. I think that you've got to kind of put all of this in context. And really, like, robo advisors is just not a great name for it. What, what these companies actually built were self-directed investing services, and in reality, what they did is they really disrupted like, like self-directed brokerage accounts, right? Because it, it, it's, it's not a great experience. Um, it may be a little bit cheaper, but it's, it's not really a great experience if you don't know anything about investing and, and you're trying to figure out how to invest $25,000 to, you know, like open an, an E-Trade or a Schwab or a TD Ameritrade retail account and just like, you know, ACH your money in and then, and then you go, well, gee, what, what should I buy? Like, I just need to buy, I know I need to be diversified. I guess I need to buy like 10 different things. Um, what should I buy? And then I got to pay like, you know, per trade. So that's incentivizing me to buy fewer things. You know, of course now the, the transaction fees are gone, but like that, that's still just somewhat impenetrable. And so a self-directed investing service is one that, you know, I, I've always looked at it as like an Amazon prime button that executes 10 trades at once and, and, and kind of tells you which, which things to buy to have a reasonably balanced portfolio. That has value. I think the jury is still out as to whether those businesses can be profitably built because the problem is, is you're dealing with clients, you know, the clients who are willing to use a self-directed investing service don't have a lot of money and you're charging 
a basis point fee and you're basically saying, well, we can't charge 1% because, you know, they can go get an advisor for 1%. Uh, so we've got to charge 25 basis points. Like, I just think that the business model for self-directed investing services has, has been really poorly thought out. So I'm not sure that they can be grown profitably. But what's very, very clear at this point is that they don't compete with real financial advisors. Like, real finance, everybody gets to a point where being self-directed doesn't make sense anymore. And I, I, I've always said that I think that it, 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 it you know, you kind of cross that Rubicon when things get very complicated. Uh, people reach a point where their taxes are complicated and, you know, they know that they're losing money by doing, you know, by, by, by not structuring their investing the right way or not setting things up in the right kinds of account structures or tax structures or trust structures. There's all kinds of complexity around that. And then there's the fact that things are very, very important. And when, you know, when something is complex and it's important, I really don't want it to get screwed up. Like, I, you know, 1% or whatever the advisory fee might be starts to look really, really small. Um, you know, I often tell the story about how I got, I got stuck at the last minute without a CPA and tried to do my own taxes in 2017 and, you know, got out of that mess by hiring a CPA a year later who proceeded to go back and, you know, charge me a pretty penny to uh, amend my very poorly done self-directed tax return from 2017, right? Because uh, I was trying to do it myself on TurboTax and lo and behold, they got me back like a multiple of, of what their fee was uh, to, to get that right. And it just, to me, it just proved the value of real advice. Um, I, I think that advisors need to be more confident in the value they deliver and the fees that they charge. Um, I'm personally, I'm a little bit of a contrarian on the whole fee compression argument. I think that fee compression absolutely exists at the asset management layer. Uh, I think that it's it's really, really hard to, to find advisors who are struggling to keep clients because their clients see and know the value that they deliver every day. And I, I think advisors need to have more confidence in the value that they're delivering. Yeah, very well said. I think you're absolutely right. The, when the cost of, of being wrong is expensive, extremely high. That's when you want yes. to be a professional. So exactly right. completely agree. And somewhere in my background, I had the same tax situation. <laughs> so I appreciate your comments. Uh, let's dig into some more buzzwords, you know, AI, artificial intelligence. I uh, love your thoughts. I know you guys might be working on this. So if we could share some insight there, but you know, it, have we not reached the point yet where AI and big data can make a difference in an advisor's world or are, are there use cases now where AI makes sense or is it still just a, a buzzword? What do you a couple think? years ago, I would have said that the um, the only true deployments of AI in our industry had been in press releases. Um, <laughs> That's but, fantastic. But I think that I think that we are starting to move into an exciting era where um, you know where a lot of uh, a, a lot of interesting applications are opening up. I would point to Redtail, for example, and what they're building around AI uh, in CRM data, right? To to kind of surface clients that are you know, potential issues uh, that you need to reach out to them uh, and, and, and chat with them about things or, or, you know, just finding meaning deep in the data uh, that's in your CRM to say, where, where are the soft spots in my business? Where are the, where are the areas I need to focus on? Where are the uh, clients I need to be thinking about or very responsive to? Um, I think that's super interesting. We, we've got a bunch of projects internally where we're thinking about uh, how to leverage uh, kind of AI frameworks, you know, AI as a service is starting to become uh, a really interesting piece of technology that that we can leverage. So we're not in a position where we need to like hire AI engineers and try to build 
uh, AI frameworks from scratch. We can now, you know, feed lots of data into AI frameworks that exist and and kind of leverage AI as a service. We're we're playing with uh, that in the labs uh, on a couple of different levels. I think that there's it's really interesting to think about what happens when we can. Uh, for lack of a better term, like pre-make some decisions for advisors. I don't think we want to take decisions out of the advisor's hand, but imagine, for example, that you know, in the future, you might be able to come to your autopilot trading dashboard, right, where you've got you know 35 decisions that you've got to make for your clients, and you know the the factors that go into those decisions about like, do I want to go ahead and you know approve these trades to kind of rebalance the client. Uh, back to their model or, or or this, that, or the other, a lot of those decisions could kind of be pre-made. Like there's a default and you're just like approving the default instead of you as the advisor having to necessarily think deeply about each one. How do you get really intelligent about, about like, like pre-making that decision for the advisor? Well, you know, AI could probably, for example, uncover, um, you know, patterns in the data about whether this client is, um, you know, extraordinarily tax sensitive or is extraordinarily risk sensitive, because a lot of the decisions that we make about whether or not to rebalance a client's account is about a, an advisor kind of making a judgment call about whether this client is more tax sensitive than they are risk sensitive. For example, um, we might be able to use patterns in the data to help the advisor kind of pre-make that decision and, and see this client appears to be a little bit more tax sensitive. Like maybe we talk to the CPA before we, before we, you know, engage in this rebalancing action today. Um, that's, that's one example. I think there's, there's, you know, hundreds of different examples where we've seen uh, throughout our product and throughout other things that we're building for the future, where we might be able to kind of pre-make decisions for the advisor and show them an intelligent default. I think that's one of the most exciting ways that I could see AI you know, stripping minutes and then hours out of an advisor's day uh, by just making them way more efficient and and able to make decisions very, very quickly. Uh, yep. I think that's a great perspective. Um, you know, it seems like every day there's another announcement around a big uh, merger acquisition. You see uh, custodians buying custodians. You see broker dealers merging with other broker dealers, tech companies being acquired by legacy players. Uh, new money's coming in. I mean, so what's your perspective on all that? You know, what should advisors be thinking about as they select their partners? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I've got a little bit of a contrarian view on this one as well because, um, you know, I, I, I've read a lot of articles talking about, yeah, I mean, con consolidation is on the rise. You know, to some extent that is empirically true, right? Like you can count the number of transactions and, and it's true. Like there, there, are, there are more transactions happening right now. Um, there are also just more companies. And, and, and to some extent, I feel like this is just the circle of life, right? So um, what, what tends to happen uh, in this circle of life is that, you know, companies are founded and they grow and they've got, you know, they've got a really great core idea. And this can be a broker dealer. This can be a, a custodian. This can be a, um, you know, a technology company. And, and they, they get to a place where it kind of makes sense. Um, the number one reason, by the way, that that companies sell to another company is because you know the founder or 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 or, um, or head of the company or whoever is 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 kind of tired and is ready for the next thing. So you know, I, I just find it kind of interesting because I think it's a bit of the circle of life. And every time there is consolidation and some of these acquisitions, what does it do? It actually opens up space for new innovation and new companies to get started. 
And so I think that that will kind of ever be. And, and I think that's a great thing. I think that when companies get acquired, it, it opens up room for, uh, for new innovative players to, to kind of come in. You know, I, I, I think to some extent that's when, when we came into the industry nine years ago, uh, we, we kind of, we had a really core vision of how we could make investing better for people. Uh, turns out that we were able to kind of invent a new pillar of advisor technology in the advisor tech uh, stack or pile, uh, whichever way you want to think about it. You know, and so, and so I would say that like our inflection point wasn't necessarily somebody else's acquisition, but now let's, let's look over at the custodian space. And, you know, there's some really interesting up and coming firms that are rolling out some really innovative services. I, I would look at Altruist. I would look at Apex. Um, you know, uh, even even more established firms that are uh, doing some innovative things like RBC. You know, Trade PMR. Interesting companies that are kind of up and coming and able to grow because you know this transaction with Schwab and TD is going to do some consolidation, and not every advisor wants to work with a very very large custodian. A lot of them will. And it's just kind of the circle of life. Um, and, and I actually think it's a healthy thing for the industry. Uh, yep, I think you're right on track with those thoughts and comments. And uh, I think it also kind of brings up the changes amongst us constantly. So speaking of that, you know, year 2020, you know, marketer's dream, you know, clear vision. Yes. Uh, from the Riskalyze um, headquarters, uh, what, what's sort of the vision for 2020 for what you're going to be bringing to market and what you're focusing on? Yeah, we we are we've got a very aggressive roadmap this this year um, to accomplish a lot for the advisors we serve. You know, there's there's a lot of focus on kind of our core. We we are you know we're we're simultaneously I, I the not too long ago the the T3 tech survey came out right and we are the headline was that Riskalyze is pulling away in the risk alignment uh, space. That, that's a great headline for us and we appreciate it, but we're really focused on the fact that we, you know, we only scored 30% market share because basically there's about 65% uh, of the market that isn't doing anything around risk. So we think that's a huge opportunity. And one of the biggest things that we're focused on in 2020 is like, how do we innovate uh, to continue to, to deliver value to the, the massive lead of advisors that we have the privilege um, and, and honor of serving today? And what, what do we need to do to convince the other 65% of the market that they should come aboard and build risk alignment into their, into their practice and how they serve clients? Because obviously there's some things that we can do to convince them uh, that, that, that this makes sense, uh, like, it, like it makes sense to the tens of thousands of advisors that we serve today. There's a lot that we're going to ship this year uh, in regard to our trading product. Can't speak too much about that yet because it's still uh, a, a coming surprise. But there's a couple of wealthies in our future that we that we hope to win uh, from some of that innovation as well. And just a lot of, you know, I, I would say we have a core principle of focus and we define that as we, you know, we don't want to build everything and try to be the be all end all like we build every single piece of technology that an advisor could ever want or need. We're going to focus on, on knowing our DNA and building what we're really good at. Um, but we want to make a deep impact on advisors rather than, you know, kind of trying and failing to boil the ocean and being mediocre at everything. And so that, that's, that's certainly our strategy, our focus. Um, and there's a lot that we expect to deliver in 2020 along that vein. Well, fantastic. Just in wrapping up our, our conversation, you know, the wealthies are coming up in um, 
uh, September 2020. Yes. We look forward to seeing you there. You've always been a perennial sponsor of the, the photo booth. I know that's a lot of fun. So again, thank you for your time today. And uh, Aaron, uh, really appreciate all that you do. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you, Tim. This content has been made for information and educational purposes only. The views and opinions represent the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of wealthmanagement.com.